You're listening to the Real Estate Investing Podcast with Dante Belmonte, here to help you start or continue your journey in real estate. Each episode, we bring you a different expert real estate investor who will share the secrets to their success so you can learn and benefit from their experience. Let's jump right into it. Welcome, welcome, welcome back, everyone, to the Real Estate Investing Podcast. I am your host, Dante Belmonte. Today, we have a very special guest on the show, Paul Moore, author of The Perfect Investment and owner and managing partner of the Wellings Capital Group. Paul, please go ahead and introduce yourself. Hey, thanks, Dante. It's great to be here. And um, I, you know, I, I got an, uh, an engineering degree back in the 80s. <laughs> You're probably thinking I don't look that old, but uh, I really am. And that was my first mistake. And then I got an MBA, went, started my own company after five years at Ford Motor Company and uh, sold that. And, you know, after having a couple million dollars in the bank at 33 or 34 years old, I thought I was an investor. And I thought, you know, now I can invest and, and have fun and, and do this, you know, nonprofit stuff I've been passionate about. And I did the nonprofit stuff and I gave some away. But, you know, I wasn't an investor. I was a speculator. Okay. And I didn't know the difference, you know. And investing is when your principal is generally safe and right. you've got a chance to make a return. And speculating is when your principal is not at all safe in any way. And you've got a chance to make a return. And so Warren Buffett and the people that trained him and the people that follow him, they got this really clear. But it took me about 18 years to figure that out. And so I lost a lot of money along the way. And I actually made a lot of money as well. That's how speculating is. And, um, you know, I, I've got a podcast now called How to Lose Money. And, okay. <laughs> uh, basically teaching people the ropes and, and some mistakes along the way. We've got about 200 episodes. But anyway, that's, that's how I got started at least. And um, okay. from there, I got into real estate in 2000. Uh, I've done all kinds of things, flips, lease to own, rent to, rent to own sandwiches, uh, built, did ground up construction, modular construction, did a subdivision, flipped high-end waterfront lots, had a small, like a brokerage where we sold leads to realtors in Virginia. And I finally got into commercial in 2011 and that was the big day of breakthrough. There you go. So you've really captured every aspect of real estate in every realm of it. You've tried everything else out, but you found the one asset of real estate that you enjoy. Is that correct? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. And, and you know, I didn't even know after it took us years of viewing commercial till I realized how the value formula worked. But you know, Dante, if you've got residential houses, you're flipping and you're, let's say you get $300,000 house and you add 500,000 in improvements. If somebody would be that crazy. Right. <laughs> if it's in LA, that might make a lot of sense. But if it's in a $350,000 neighborhood, no matter how nice you fix it up, you're probably not going to get your $800,000 out of that house no, because residential not. real estate's based, as we know, on comps, comparable Correct. properties. But commercial is entirely different. It's based on a value formula, which says that the value is the net operating income divided by the rate Correct. of return or the cap rate. And that means we can force appreciation. And that, my friends, is very powerful. Increase income, decrease expenses by making the NOI a little more attractive. Calculate with the same cap rate and there's your property value. You've just watched it increase by X amount, which right. is awesome. So you obviously 
do the syndication side of things. You do the commercial, the apartment building side of things. So let's start with your book. Tell us a little bit about, about it. I'm going to let you do some self-promotion here, a little brag moment. So the perfect investment, um, you, you sent it to me. I, I read through a majority of it. I didn't have time to, to finish it all before we hopped on, but break it down for me. Break it down yeah. For me. So in 2016, I, I realized there, you know, this value formula, this whole thing about, you know, the power of commercial real estate. And I realized, my goodness, this is, I looked at the sharp ratio, which is the rate, you know, basically a measurement of risk versus return, multifamily, self-storage, mobile home parks, medical, those commercial asset classes far, far exceeded anything that we saw uh, anywhere else in stocks, bonds, equities, uh, other asset classes. And so we, were so it was so powerful, but I didn't see this in books very very much. So we actually uh, created a book called The Perfect Investment: Create Enduring Wealth from the Historic Shift in Multifamily Housing. In that book, I explain uh, first of all why multi why the demographics, and we can get into this if you want to ask me later. Why the demographics show that for decades to come, multifamily should be a great place to invest why the risk return ratio is so favorable, why the government stepped in and made it actually even better through some mistakes they made, why the IRS makes it a better place to invest than other uh, asset classes out there, and why we think that this is a great way to invest and how to do it. And so this book really hits all that. And I I believe everything I, I wrote in the book um, four years ago. So, yeah, it, it, it's a great book. Like I said, I haven't finished it yet, but I've gotten a good chunk of the way through it. Um, it's just shy of 200 pages and it's got great ratings and reviews on Amazon, which is obviously the goal because that's going to get more people to, uh, to get it and open it up. Right. Um, talk to us about your company, Wellings Capital. Yeah. So here's what happened over the last, you know, five years, six years, we wanted to get into multifamily, but all the partners that started our company were in our fifties and we did not feel like we should take the risks we took in our twenties and thirties. In fact, we understood investing versus speculating. And so we decided that we were just not going to overpay for multifamily. We were just going to have to have a better acquisition pipeline. Well, we failed. We did not find the deals that we thought we would. We made relationships with brokers. We looked off market. We did everything we knew to do, but we did not find the deals that we thought we would. We kept getting outbid by other people who were willing to, in my opinion, overpay for assets. So you're and, trying to get, were you trying to get like 50 cents on the dollar? Is that the kind of deal you were looking for? Or no, what was it that you, not at all. We were just trying to get a, a deal that made sense and that would okay. provide a reasonable return for our investors and would be shielded from the downside if, you know, if, and when there's a recession. Right. So we failed at that. So what I did about two years ago, I started looking at self storage and mobile home parks. And when we looked at those, we were shocked, happily shocked at the amazing opportunities that were out there to buy from mom and pops and to actually increase the value, drive, you know, drive NOI, drive value significantly, way more than I'd seen in multifamily for many years. So Dante, what we did is we looked at that and we said, this is where we want to be. Now we knew how to do it on paper, but we didn't have the team. 
the track record, the experience, um, and the know-how to actually do it. So what we decided to do as a company, we made a major pivot. We decided to go out and find the very best in-class operators, syndicators who had been through the last recession, you know, 11 years ago. Yep. Uh, companies that really understood the ropes, treated their investors well, and would treat us well as an investor. So we started investing with them, and then we, uh, one by one, started bringing them into a fund, and then we threw open the doors to our friends, family, investors out there who would invest alongside us in these best-in-class operators. So Wellings Capital operates three funds, and we basically allow investors, we educate them the best we can and allow them to invest in our fund. And then that money is diversified over dozens of assets we invest in. Okay. Now over those three funds you have, how much capital is that total or how much capital is that over time that we're talking? Yeah. So by the end of this year, I believe we'll be in the $50 million range, but for just the year 2019, uh, we raised, I think it was about $16 million. Wow. And okay. So, uh, and we're, you know, we're targeting another 30 to 35 million this year. Okay. And what market do you operate out of and what market do you also target? Or is that the same market? Yeah. Geographically? Yes. Yeah. So when we were doing multifamily, we were very narrow. We wanted to, you know, be in the Carolinas, Kentucky, okay. et cetera. But when we did this, we stepped back and we looked at how Warren Buffett does things. Now, you know, Dante, Warren Buffett doesn't make ice cream, but he owns Dairy Queen. He doesn't write mortgages, but he owns Bercadia. And he doesn't make mobile homes, but he owns Clayton Homes. Now, what he does and the way he does that is he trusts great managers and he trusts them to make the decisions on the ground. For example, he bought ABC. He invested a whole lot of money in ABC from a 15-minute phone call with Tom Murphy in 1979. And he made billions of dollars profit from that investment. So what we do is we find these operators and we trust them to pick the geography. Okay. So you find these experts in that asset class and, yeah. and bring them on board. Okay. So self-storage and mobile home parks, that's something you guys are starting to get into or something that you guys have been into for a little while now? Yeah. A couple of years now. Okay. But yeah, the I operators think we invest with have been at it for decades, you know? Right. So that's why they're, they're training their professionals. That's why you guys brought them in because they knew what they were doing. Um, Mobile home parks is definitely the, the the secret, I feel, that no one really knows about, but now it's starting to get more popular. People yeah. are starting to see the numbers, um, the, the land leases versus the actual leases of the mobile home, which is very interesting. Right. Um, Self-storage as well. That's always been something I've looked to get into, but I feel like in the market I'm currently at, it's a very saturated asset class. Yeah. Um, everyone wants to get into it because it's, it's, it's a box, you know? When, right. when someone leaves, you, you sweep it out. There's no plumbing, you know, there's there's... No HVAC you really have to do unless right. you're climate controlled. So it's very interesting. Talk to us about the capital raising aspect. Who, where are you finding these people? How are you going about them? What, what's the process you're doing with them? Yeah, it's funny you'd ask that. I just wrote a couple articles on Bigger Pockets about this exact thing. And like usual, I have a long answer for this as well. That's uh, fine. Bring it on. Hopefully it'll be helpful. When I started trying to raise capital, I spent a couple years really believing in pixie dust and fairies. I believed I could find one big investor in China or India to do everything with, to partner with. And I'd heard these stories. 
And my mentor was hammering me. He said, no, 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 you've got to build a big investor base, people that you give content and education to that want to invest with you. And I resisted that over and over and over. And finally, you know, after two failed attempts to acquire multifamily with these investors partnering with us, this mythical investor in China, actually there was one. I, I shouldn't say mythical, but he said, I really don't want to do anything under 20 or 30 million because I like to do due diligence at these higher levels. And so when I brought him a $5 million deal or even a $4 million deal, he said, no. Well, finally, my mentor in front of two or three other people said, don't call me again until you've done what I told you for the last year or two. Ouch, that really stung. Well, uh, the next day, I actually went to a Michael Blanc, B-L-A-N-K, Blank Blanc conference and got to talk to him about raising capital. And then about a week later, I heard a podcast from a guy called Richard C. Wilson. Now, Richard Wilson has an amazing capital raising family office network. And uh, the story he told is so powerful. And if you hear nothing else on this podcast. I hope you hear this, folks. He said that if you want to go up north and live on salmon and, you know, up in the wilderness, you can do one of two things. Number one, you can be a spear fisherman, which means you have to learn to, you know, get the right straight branch. You have to learn to whittle it. You have to learn to throw it. And you have to hope that a salmon will swim by in those dark waters and you'll get a shot at it, hit it, and be able to get it to shore. You'll get some salmon that way, but there's a better way and this is where the analogy gets silly, the better way is to be a grizzly bear standing in the waterfall with your mouth open, letting salmon jump into your mouth. And literally, I listened to that like three times on that podcast, which was actually the first time I'd ever used the podcast app on my iPhone, funny. And um, I, uh, I listened to it, I said, that's it. And so that's when I decided, right about that time is when I published the book, I decided to go out and get on as many podcasts as I could, start my own podcast, start writing for Bigger Pockets, start doing video later for Bigger Pockets, and start speaking. And the goal would be that people would come to me and want to invest. Put the content out there for them to come to you. Yes. And that's exactly what's happened. Good, good. So I, I think a lot of people, you said, if you can only hear one thing on this podcast, that's it. And I think that that really is it. Having people come to you versus going out. Yes, at the beginning, you probably are going to have to go out, build some relationships, get some people. But if you put the content out there, you can build the relationship, build the trust with people that right. they're, they're listening to you, they're reading what you have to say. I mean, taking the time to publish a book, that, that's not a, a one week thing. You know, that takes months. I think that builds a lot of trust and that's someone that says i want to invest with that guy i want to give right. that guy my money i want to trust that guy with my money to bring me great returns better than the right. next yeah so that that's awesome so that answers my question on the capital raising aspect pick any of your deals that you've done it can be recent it can be years back and let's dissect it a little bit let's let's go into to how you found it how you how you funded it and how you operated it or brought up the noi and the, the property Okay. Well, I'd love to, to go through one that we did with an operating partner in Wellings Capital. Would that be okay? Yeah, please go right ahead. All right. So we have a growth fund and we have an income fund. The income fund is for assets that are already producing income. They have a limited downside because you know they're already successful operations when we invest. The gro- and, they, and they have a lot of growth component with it. 
the growth fund is for assets that are a little higher risk. They don't have um, they don't have any income. They might not have income for say three or four years because it could be a ground up development. Right. Well, um, I've got friends in Minneapolis, and um, there's a suburb outside of Minneapolis to the northwest, about 30 miles. It's called Ramsey. Now it's on the rail line, and there is, uh, I'll, I'll tell you that, that self-storage is largely overheated, largely overbuilt in the U.S. Everywhere you oh, look, yeah. there's new self-storage. But there are pockets where there's no self-storage, and that's the perfect place to invest, especially yeah, if the city and the county are always fighting self-storage and you can get a permit, then that's the kind of place you want to be. Well, that's exactly what we did. We co-invested alongside an operator who had uh, 39 years of development experience, <laughs> construction experience. And we basically uh, built along with them that we basically invested while they built 115,000 square foot self-storage facility. It's got 94,500 wow. 94, 94, square feet of rentable storage space. Uh, there's no climate controlled self-storage within several miles of it, which is a really big deal because they're building houses, uh, townhouses, condos, apartments yep. all around the self-storage so facility. That niche. Yep. It's right on the main road. So what you're looking for in self-storage is you're looking for uh, a place where there's seven square feet of storage per person or less, that's kind of the equal, equilibrium number, or less in a, say, three-mile radius, for example. Well, in this three-mile radius, uh, if I'm not mistaken, there was only four square feet of self-storage. It was almost all Class B, kind of worn-out, boring, mom-and-pop stuff. In bad yeah, run down, not managed yeah. properly, I would imagine. Yeah, and there's the cool thing is there's no climate controlled storage in a very significant radius. And this is going to be a 100% climate controlled class A plus beautiful building. And wow. so there we're constructing that right now. It's a 10 million dollar project and uh it's believed that when um it's closed and occupied uh when when there's a CO on it, a certificate of occupancy on it and it's occupied it will be worth in the range of say, let's say 14, 15, 16 million. Well, there's only like 3 million in equity on it and 7 million in debt. And so if we can get net 13 million for it, let's say a year from now, uh, a year after the investments made, that would be doubling our money in a year. That would be a hundred percent IRR, internal rate of return. But if we play the project out to its end, let's say a six year window, we expect there to be a uh, 2.99, basically a 3x multiple return on it, which means the investors would get their one, their capital back, plus a 200% uh, return on their investment over six years. And you can wow. see with leverage and the value formula how that's very possible. But that is uh, one of my favorite deals we've ever invested in. That, it sounds phenomenal and the numbers sound great and your investors are just going to want to throw more capital at you after that, I would imagine. Yeah. Um, how did you find this deal? How did you find this property? How did you choose this market? Yeah. So I went to a, um, and this is a little advertisement, I guess, for Scott Myers. Scott Myers, M-E-Y-E-R-S, has this wonderful self-storage investment conference and mastermind. 
Yep. And um, everybody who goes to that has a chance to get to know Scott, get to know the deals that he has. And um, um, Scott was actually one of the sponsors on this deal. He's one of the most experienced, uh, knowledgeable education uh, folks in the self-storage arena. So I was really happy that he was going to be part of it, putting his own time and money into it. Yeah, I, I have heard of him. His name floats around the community quite a bit in the self-storage realm of things. When you are presenting your investors, the investor packet or the, the operations of what you expect to see on returns, things like that, what are you advertising to them? What are you telling them that they're going to be seeing in returns of a range? Yeah, we generally say that we expect uh, these days in the income fund, which, you know, again, has income from day one right versus the growth. We, yeah. So we're expecting uh, income to average about 8% a year. Okay. That's over the life of the fund, starting much lower, like in the five or six range, and then growing to above 10%, we hope. Uh, we expect that. And then we expect the appreciation to be averaging about 7% a year. So total annual return, we're projecting at 15% annually. Okay. And when you're building, when you're bringing up the NOI, therefore bringing up the property value over time, um, are you ever doing refinances on these properties to pull out equity and give them to the investors or the general partners? When do you look to do that? Is there a certain timestamp or just when yeah. you're at a certain stage in the property. So, you know, mobile homes, like you said, have had kind of a bad reputation over the years. It's not a place that a lot of people would want to be. But actually, they're very, very powerful. Sam Zell, the most successful real estate investor in the world, or at least America, um, has the most mobile home park lots of anybody. He has about 150,000 mobile home park lots. Wow. Um, it's an incredible asset class. And so Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae, if you get a loan for a mobile home park with them. I think it's with Fannie Mae specifically, actually. Um, you can refinance it twice in the first five years of the loan. And so it's very inexpensive. There's no penalty. The rate's locked in at what you originally paid. And so we expect that our operators will often refinance around year three and around year five to pull out safe equity, hand it back to the investors, and allow them to redeploy it somewhere else. If we can somehow by say five or six years, give back our investors say 80% of their original principal, well, they can go out and reinvest that somewhere else now, but they keep their returns with us. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah, it, it is. And once, and it's, now correct me if I'm wrong with this, just because I don't know on the refinance of a syndication or commercial property, um, it's tax-free when you pull out that uh, refinance money. Yeah. But when you distribute it to the investors, do they have to pay taxes on that because no. it's return? Wow, no, it's just like re it's just like refinancing your house. You know, there's no um, there's no uh, tax on refinancing your house. There's no tax on this either. I mean, you know, there may be some state or you know, like maybe California or something that tries to yeah, or New York <laughs> or Jersey who yeah. tries to start taxing that, but I can't imagine that. Yeah. So, I mean, again, I think that's the most powerful tool in this whole real estate investing realm. Yeah. Uh, you don't have to pay capital gains. You don't have to, you know, uh, re uh, depreciation recapture, stuff like that. I think that's, right. again, very powerful. Um, how many, and, and I'm sure you saw in bigger pockets, Brandon Turner just opened up funding for his yeah. uh, syndication with the yeah. home parks. Go, Brandon. 
I know. I mean, he's been talking about it. And uh, one of the guys on his team, Brian Murray, who I'm sure you've heard of from crushing it. Um, he's yep. actually local. He's 45 minutes from me and he's like the, uh, the big star in this area when it comes to investing. Everyone wants to get in his ear. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. So general partners, how many general partners do you have on these projects or with Wellings uh, Capital itself? Well, I'm not sure how to answer that. We, we typically spread our money across like four operators. So, I mean, in the Wellings Cap Income Fund 1, we only had three operators we spread. So there were actually three completely separate general partners. Um, and Wellings Capital came in not as a general partner, but as an LP or limited partner. Into yep, those limited deals. partner in there. Yeah. Okay. Wonderful, wonderful. Um, do you have a mentor that you really are talking to on the regular basis, presenting your deals to, or just messaging yeah. information with? I have a new book coming out on self storage uh, with bigger pockets publishing probably by May of 2020. Uh, it's completely finished. And, um, I, um, my last chapter in that is about why you need to find a coach or a mentor. Mm -hmm. And so I really believe in that I've spent, uh, $25,000, two separate times in my career to have mentors. And actually it was 25 on one and like 32 on another, wow. uh, in another career I had. And, um, they both were very, very successful, very helpful. Uh, the mentor that I had and actually still have for life, he's talking to me again now that I did what he said is, uh, <laughs> it's funny how that works, right? I know. Right. Uh, it's 37th parallel, 37th parallels based in Richmond. Is $25,000. I highly recommend them. I think they would do a fantastic job for people. Okay, that's great. Talk to us as much as you're allowed to about this book coming out with bigger pockets. Just, I, I know you said it's about self storage, but what are we going to see in there as far as concepts go? Yeah, so I don't want to insult anybody, but, um, you know, honestly, I looked through and I ordered every self storage book I could find about a year ago. Have you read any of them? I've read three of them. Have uh, you? The, so there's Mark Helms, which is probably, I'm going to say the best out of all of them, but I it's thought still the same not great. Thing. Yeah. Um, the other one, I, I'm trying to remember who the author was. I, I don't remember it. anymore. Yeah. yeah terrible. They're all I terrible. Know. Yeah. They're kind of self-published and I don't have anything against self-publishing, but, um, no, that, but you know, there is one great one. And if people want to hear about it, it's, it's very niche. It's called. Uh, like your friend's book, it's called Crushing It, and it's Crushing It in Marketing Yourself Storage is the like the full title. I'm ready and I see it on my bookshelf, but it's like 15 feet away, and I can't remember the name no of the worries. author right now. But okay. um, anyway, um, anyway, you can find it. But it's a great, well written book if you're a self storage operator teaching you how to market it. Boy, am I off topic. So let me get back to topic here. <laughs> it's okay. So, I asked you about self storage, what you're telling us. I, I, so I decided to write a book on why we love self storage, the demographics behind it, uh, the math behind how it works, the value add, and all that. Then it has a second section, which is the three different major strategies to acquire or invest in self-storage. And then the last section is seven paths to get into self-storage. But actually, that those seven paths apply to anything in commercial real estate, whether it's multifamily or what have you. And so that's what the book consists of. It's uh, about, um, I guess it's 21 chapters, something like that. Uh, it'll be similar to the other one, about 200 pages. 
There you go. That See, that's super exciting for me because, again, I've read a handful of self-storage books. There's not a lot of educational uh, material out there as far as books yeah. go. I mean, you, you look for a commercial real estate book or uh, an investing in real estate book, and there's 100 results right there. Anywhere from I know, right? 1999 all the way up, and you just got to find the right one. So I think you'll do very well in that. I wish you the best in that. Thanks. I look forward to uh, ordering that as soon as that comes out. Get some good quality up on the bookshelf. Talk to me a little bit about cap rates. What are you guys willing to purchase a property at when it comes to cap rates or are you not looking at that aspect of it as much? Yeah, you know, um, we could really spend a lot of time breaking this down, but in summary, we used to think, you know, hey, we want things in the six to 8% cap rate range. But I tell you, cap rate looks at the trailing 12 months of income yep. Correct. And basically, it's the trailing 12 months of income divided by the purchase price of the asset, and that's your cap rate. So if it's $100,000 income on a $2 million property, that's a 5% cap rate, okay? Well, you know what I learned over the last two years investing in a lot of these mom and pops? They are significantly underperforming. Yep. I mean, that one I just told you about with the 5% cap rate, that could be a screaming deal because once we get our expert operator in there and they, for example, let me just give you two examples. Let's yeah, say they add U-Haul to that self-storage facility and let's just say that U-Haul brings in uh, $4,000 a month, which you know the normal range is two to 5,000. So let's say 4,000 a month. Right, a now, over the average, yep. Yeah. So there's no cost to that other than, you know, the, like, you know, the, I mean, like the time to sign up with U-Haul and park the trucks there. There's a few hours labor, right? but there's no significant capital expense. And there's no significant ongoing expense to getting these commissions. Um, you know, other than the hours of the employee who parks the truck and signs people in and out. Yep. Well, uh, that's 4,000 a month. That's 48,000 a year. Now let's take that $48,000 a year yep. and let's divide it by, now remember our value is the net operating income divided by a normal cap rate. And so let's say the normal value. cap rate is 6%. So 4,000 a month times 12 months is 48,000. 48,000 by a normal, divided by normal cap rate of 6% is, look at that, 800,000, that's what value you just Increased value, yeah. And so uh, I just took a $100,000 income and turned it into 148,000. We added 48% to go. the net operating income in potentially as little as a month. So that 5% cap rate, just now the operating cap rate, I'm doing this in my head, just went up to like 7.4%. Wow. And then let's say we added, we took an acre of that land in the back and we paved it or graveled it and made it into boat and RV parking. Right, that's yeah, another exactly. $10,000 a month. That's for an acre, by the way. And that's, that's a real number there. That's a real yeah. example. 10000 a month. Guess what? You just more than doubled your annual income from yeah. 100000 to two twenty from just that change. And that change cost you about $100,000. So now the question is not what the cap rate is, although that's something right, to look helps. at. The question is, what's the potential based on the location, the land you got, the management, and all that? And that's 
the beauty of investing in buying a mom-and-pop, poorly-run operation. I love it, and this is my favorite strategy, and I talk a lot about that in the book. Yeah, and I, I again, I think that's huge because you're taking that NOI, that net operating income, you're increasing that, therefore pushing value with it. I mean, after you did all that, you could, you could go and sell the property, but obviously you want to get some of that return in there because your investment, you've increased it. And right. It's amazing how much management has to do with your property. I mean, right. People don't understand you come in, you don't have to paint a wall. You don't have to do a single thing. As long as you increase management, you decrease expenses and increase the income right. a little bit. That right. property value is just skyrocketed. So it's amazing. That's awesome. Um, what, what advice would you give people looking to get started in commercial real estate that are just scared to, to you know, take that step forward, whether that's passively or actively? How would you feel if I actually went through those seven paths very quickly and then you oh, can yeah. dial if in on it? If you have time, because I know, I know you have yeah. the... Uh, so yeah, I have another have webinar with, with uh, investors here in 17 minutes. So I, I'm going to promise to do this very quick. I'm talking to myself. I'm promising. Okay. So <laughs> number one, number one path. So a lot of people are confused on how to get into commercial real estate. They don't know who to trust. They don't know where to start. I didn't know for years. I wanted to get in for years. I didn't know where to start. So here are seven quick paths. Path number one, you can, um, you can do the slow, long, winding road to the top, which would basically be buy, refurbish, rent it out, maximize the value, and sell it. Take your proceeds, buy a bigger one. Fix it up, rent it out, you know, rent, rent more, rent higher, and yep. then sell it. And you keep stacking your way up, as Brandon Turner calls it, uh, up to the top. Um, and I know that's possible. I know it's also a long, hard road. Um, yeah. Second path is very dangerous because the SEC is breathing down people's necks and you got to do this legally. You got to do it right. But that would be to raise capital for other people's deals. And so you could partner with a company. The best way to do it would be to actually get a partnership where like my friend Whitney Sewell, he raises the money, his partner does the operations and they work together and the, he gets a piece of the deal that way. So that's a great way to do it. And that's all legal because he's truly a partner on that deal. Okay. Uh, third way is to be a deal finder. Deal finder means you've got either the skills or the connections to find deals. You bring them to larger operators and you say, look, I don't want a commission. I'm not a realtor. I want to bring you the deal and I want to stay involved. Give me a piece of ownership. Kind of like with Michael Block, how you can bring him a deal through yeah. his analyzer and he'll invest. Okay. Perfect. Yeah, that's exactly right. So path number four is kind of crazy. It's called uh, get a job. Now, most people would say, I don't want a job. Well, uh, that would look like either be becoming a resi uh, excuse me, a commercial property broker, yep. a commercial property lender, uh, going to work at an asset manager, or going to work for a property management firm. And all four of those are passed through a W-2 income to get in, get to know the people, get to know the numbers, and then eventually you get back and you partner with somebody and you're off to the races. What better way um, to get familiar with the business than that route It's a great route way to go. You know, one of the largest multifamily people in America uh, who actually wrote a, um, a, a, a blurb on my last multifamily book, um, he actually, Rick Graff from Pinnacle Investments, he started out as a porter in college, the lowest job in multifamily. And now he's CEO of one of the largest multifamily firms in America. He learned it um, all, right? Yep, that's right. So that's path 
four, I think. Yep, Path five four. is uh, be a millionaire. That's kind of tongue in cheek. If you <laughs> won the lottery, made a lot of money in Bitcoin, inherited a lot of money, or if you just have a ton of money at your disposal through family or whatever, you can just jump in at a high level. And I've got a lot of information in my self-storage book about the do's and don'ts of doing that. That's not for many. Path number, what am I on? Path six? Six, yep. Path six is take the passive path, and this is my favorite path, I think, and that would be find a phenomenal operator and just keep your day job, love real estate, but keep your IT job, your dentist job, your doctor job, whatever, and then basically invest passively with them. And then someday when the time's right, maybe you'll be making enough passive income, you can quit that job and then join them and partner with them. Be yeah, really great. careful to find the right operator because there's a lot of good ones, but you want a great one. Um, and uh, then past seven is, we already talked about it, find a coach or a mentor. Now, a mentor is when you go offer yourself for free and you just uh, uh, basically learn all you can. You offer your services for free. Uh, a coach, a paid coach, is when you pay somebody like 37th Parallel or Michael Blanc and you actually... Um, learn the business from them and you pay them to learn and maybe you can get a chance to partner with them down the road. So there you go. Seven paths. No, that's great. That's a lot of value just added to this by just breaking down those seven and those will be found in your book, correct? They'll be in the new book on self-storage. That's right. Nice. That's, that's exciting. That, that right there also got me excited because I'm excited to see how you break each one down and give out suggestions and whatnot. All um, right. Any, so talk to me about your biggest uh, hurdle you had come over throughout this entire real estate investing career of yours. Something yeah. That really yeah. So I had, I'm going to give you the short version of this. I had a million and a half in the bank when I sold my company in 97, exactly 10 years later in the fall of 2007, I had two and a half million in debt. And so I was really, my back was against the wall. Uh, the uh, depression or the recession was looming. We didn't know how bad it was going to be. Anyway, I made a commitment and I told my friends and family, hey, we're going to give our way out of debt. And that went over real well. Um, so we basically started giving to nonprofits, charities, church, things we were really, really passionate about. And four weeks into 2008, after doing this uh, for four weeks, four weeks into the new year, uh, I came up with a, a light bulb idea completely out of nowhere uh, that just changed everything. And it allowed me to subdivide some land I held into a subdivision. And right in the very, very heart of the worst months of the Great Recession, which was September to uh, November of 2008, we were able to sell a whole bunch of property, a bunch of lots off when hardly anybody was buying waterfront lots, expensive lots. I was just going to ask just the waterfront you were talking about. Yeah, right. Book. And um, actually, we, were, uh, we went from $2.5 million in debt to 100% debt-free in 13 months. Congratulations. That's, that's got to be scary, but big also at the same time, I would right. imagine. Yeah, um, right. Yeah. Because I remember you were talking about that in the beginning of your book, which I suggest everyone go and get the perfect investment. Thank you. More. Yeah, no, no, it's good. I, I like it a lot. I gotta. I know I read the PDF you sent me. I got to get the hard copy though, because I like annotating, highlighting, you know, all the important yeah. sections. Paul, we're gonna sign off here in a little bit because I know you got to get running. Anything you'd like to leave the audience with before you do head out? Yeah, you know, um, 
I would highly recommend that, you know, if you're young and you've got time and you don't have a family to support, take your risks, you know, take most of your risks while you're young, while you're able to, uh, to take those losses. And, uh, but when you get in your forties, fifties and on, you're going to want to take a lot, lot less risks. So, um, Really, I think that people really, really need to realize the difference, like I said earlier, about spe from speculating to investing. And I highly recommend that you go with the long game. Warren Buffett was asked by Mark uh, Zuckerberg. He said, Mark said, Warren, your, 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 um, your strategy is not that hard to follow. Why doesn't everybody just follow you? And Warren yeah. laughed and said, oh, no, 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 no. Nobody wants to get rich that slowly. Yeah. You know, if you put, now I don't have the exact number, but I think if you put 10,000 with Warren in 1966 in Berkshire Hathaway, that'd be worth, I think it's 180 million now. And so nobody wants to get rich that slow, huh? <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's funny. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Uh, Paul, thank you so much for being on the show this evening. I really appreciate it. I'm sure everyone was able to take some value away. So I think we're going to sign off here, everyone. Uh, Paul, where can people find out a little bit more about you, though, before you have Okay. On? You can get the book called The Perfect Investment on Amazon. Uh, the self-storage book will be out with Bigger Pockets Publishing sometime in the spring or early summer of 2020. And um, they can get a hold of me at my website. My company website is wellingscapital.com. That's W-E-L-L-I-N-G-S, wellingscapital.com. Awesome. Thank you so much, Paul, for being on the show. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in and listening, and have an awesome week. Thanks for listening. We hope you took something away from today's episode. For more information, you can find us on Instagram at Dante Belmonte. See you next time.